The following is a message by Professor Zach Keel from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Well, for our short devotion this morning, we turn to a short chapter, Jeremiah 24. Just we'll read all 10 verses for Jeremiah. This is a very short chapter. So Jeremiah 24, we'll read all the verses. God's word. After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and taken into exile from Jerusalem, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, together with the officials of Judah, the craftsmen, and the metal workers, and had brought them to Babylon. The Lord showed me this vision. Behold, two baskets of figs placed before the temple of the Lord. One had very good figs, like first ripe figs, but the other basket had very bad figs, so bad that they could not be eaten. And the Lord said to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? I said, Figs. The good figs are very good, and the bad figs, very bad, so bad that they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord God, the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good. And I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. But, thus says the Lord, Like the bad figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten, so I will treat Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his officials, the remnant of Jerusalem who remains in this land, and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will make them a whore to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, and a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. Yet I will send sword, famine, and pestilence upon them until they shall be utterly destroyed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers. Let us pray. Blessed Father, we just thank you for these opportunities to crack open your holy word and to meditate on the beauties of Christ, to reflect on the great deeds that you have done for us, and to be informed on how we as your children should and ought to walk before you in love. Thus may your grace pour out upon us so that we might respond in gratitude and thanksgiving. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we aren't, or we aren't, or we are familiar with the fact that in the New Testament, we often find these reversals. They're kind of shocking. Like, for example, that you who were poor have become rich, or the first will be last, and the last will be first. So we're familiar with these kind of shocking role reversals. 
Well, as a grandparent to these, Jeremiah also gives us one of these reversals. And the point of these reversals is to kind of shock us, to waken us up and say, what's going on? And the point of shocking us is to enable us to see a deeper truth, a deeper reality in God's plan, and hear the profound love of God's promise. So Jeremiah sets the scene or puts two dishes on the table. The first is a date and then a vision. The date is that of 597 BC. This was right after Nebuchadnezzar had come and attacked Jerusalem and took off into exile the best in the land. He removed Jehoiachin from being king and put Zedekiah in the throne after him. But he took all the officials, the craftsmen, the cream of the crop he took away. Ezekiel was actually in this group. Well, this would have hobbled society, would have left Jerusalem like a one-legged man without a cane, hopping around, figuring out how to survive afterwards. And yet also the question was asked, how do we evaluate what God has just done? Nebuchadnezzar has come in, he's defeated us, there goes one king, we have another king, and all the best are gone. Our family members are gone. Why did I stay in the land? And my brother was taken to Babylon. How do we evaluate this? Well, typically, and the way we evaluate, evaluate is the ones left behind are the favored ones. This is the way it was pictured when the northern Israel was defeated and taken into exile by Assyria. They were more wicked, so they were destroyed. Jerusalem was less wicked or more righteous. Judah remained. Well, that would have been the idea, that those who left behind, note the remnant, were the favored ones, were the upright ones. This is what the law of Moses says. Those who do the law will live in the land. So this is the time. This is the question that's in the air. Well, now the Lord shows Jeremiah a vision, a vision of two baskets of figs. Now, figs was a extremely important farming crop for Israel. They were widespread and they were known particularly for being delicious, a highly favored fruit in Israel. But note that this isn't just about dishes on the table, but note the positioning of these baskets. They are presented, they are arranged before the temple. This is a picture of offering and more particularly a first fruit offering. Now, first fruit offering wasn't burned on the altar, but it was given to the Lord, presented as an offering, but then it went to the priest. It was their perpetual due. And the way you evaluated this type of offering, note all offerings and sacrifices had to be evaluated, but the way you evaluated a first fruit was by taste test. If the fruit was good, it was acceptable. If you brought poor fruit, it was not acceptable. So what are these two baskets like? Well, the first basket is the cream of the crop. It is $20 a pound figs. Isaiah talks about these figs as that as soon as you pick them, they fly into your mouth. They are so delicious, they're like candy on the table. You can't keep your fingers off of them. Like a kid in a strawberry patch whose chin is dripping with red juice. The other one, 
Well, you see flies over that basket. You start to smell something funky. You look in, and mold has sewn these figs together. There's not one good salvageable fig in the whole basket. This is a basket you wouldn't give to the chickens, much less to a person or as an offering. But the question is, is who is who in this picture? Who's the tasty figs and who are the nasty ones? Well, verse 5 tells us, I will record them, normally the exiles, those who were just taken to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, as the good ones. It's the exiles that God says are pleasing in his eyes. Now note it says, I will regard them as acceptable or recognize them as good. Now what is being pictured here is not the exiles' moral character, not their covenantal worthiness, but how God looks at them, which actually becomes a symbol for what God is going to do to these exiles, their redemption. For note what happens once God sees them. He does good to them. He brings them back to the land in that second exodus uh, redemption. He rebuilds them in the land. He replants them as his holy garden. He makes them inviolable as permanently his people, holy again. Note he gives them a new heart. Jeremiah is one of the prophets of the heart. He's always been talking about the people's stiff heart, their hard heart. He says that sin is written on their heart with a diamond pen. They're a rebellious heart. Well, now God gives them a transplant. God is their surgeon. He makes them to be what they could never be themselves. Gives them a new nature. This is nothing less than spiritual recreation. He makes them able to love him with loyalty. And then what's the fruit of this heart transplant? A new covenant formula. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is a new covenant communion, a new divine intimacy based upon that divine grace of recreating his people. And this is all an act of mercy. God reaches out to these exiles and he does this to those who were deemed unfavorable, those who were deemed rejected, God is the one who makes them like the good figs. Now this would have been a bit of a shock to Jeremiah's audience, to those still in Jerusalem. But with a teaspoon of sugar, they could have swallowed this. Sure, God will show mercy to those who were once judged. But what goes down with maybe a spoonful of sugar here What comes next will take cups of sugar. For who are the bad figs? Well, the tub of rancid figs are the remnant in the land. The remnant is the rancid ones? This is not just contradictory to Jeremiah's audience, but it would have been offensive. The very definition of remnant is the holy portion, the favored ones. They were left behind for a reason. Think of Elijah's day. The 7,000 who didn't bow the knee are the ones that were favored. Again, Deuteronomy, those who do the law will live in the land. Thus the people, Zedekiah and those still back in the land, they thought, well, we're okay. 
God took away the wicked one. We're the upright ones. But the Lord flips this on his head and says, no, the ones in the land, the remnant, they're the ones I see as rancid, rotten figs. And so what's going to happen? Complete covenant destruction. He makes them a whore, a taunt. All the nations will use the name Israel and Judah as a curse word, as a slander. And then the Lord will unleash that cursed triad, sword, famine, and pestilence. The sword will slash them, famine will gobble them up, and pestilence will be their hospice care. The Lord is going to vaporize the remnant in the land. They will fall into the shadow of God forsakenness. This is the complete reverse of what those living in Jerusalem and Judah would have thought. This is a shocking reversal. How could God do this? But in this shocking reversal, we find the glorious new covenant promise for us. First, note here that the exiles are no better than the remnant who stayed in the land. Those in Babylon were no better than those who were left in Jerusalem. They were cursed for a reason, and this they're correct. After all, they did need a heart transplant. Well, so also for us. We are no better being in the church. We're not in the church because we're more sensitive spiritually, because we had a positive inclination, because we just tried harder. No, it is God's grace, his sovereign grace, that makes the exiles the good figs. It is God's grace who makes us his children. The Holy Spirit is your heart surgeon. He's the one who cracks your, your sternum and with the scalpel of mercy, removes your old heart, clears out the cholesterol of sin from your arteries, and gives you a new heart, a new nature, a new creation. It's because God loved you. The unworthy first is the reason why we're saved. But again, part of the shockingness of this image, it's not just that the Lord saves those that were once judged, but it's particularly that those who are pleasing are those who are identified with the curse. It's the cursed ones who become the favored ones. And in this we see the glorious pattern of redemptive history. Why are the cursed ones the ones that become favored? Because Christ crossed had to come because it was necessary. Indeed, those who are colored with the cursed crayon, those who pass through the valley of death, those who are the impure things, the ironic is that those are the ones who are saved because in Christ and his cross, he had to suffer that curse. He had to endure that God-forsaken exile. And it's those who are in Christ, those who are identified with the cross of his curse, that become the favored ones. Indeed, Christ's curse paid it all. He is your ark that brings you through the sea of wrath. 
And thus, how does then Christ, or how does your Father look on you now, having went through in Christ that curse? He sees you as delicious figs. That's how your Heavenly Father looks at you. I mean, think of the beauty of fruit. Strawberries we call golden. Raspberries are like edible rubies. Blueberries like sapphire candy. We use their smells in our lotion and perfumes and other things. We decorate our homes with them. Well, the Father sees you in Christ as a shimmering apple, as a golden raspberry, as a first ripe fig. This is the shockingness of grace. For we are the rotten ones. We are maggoty in our sin. We are rancid in our depravity. And yet through the cross, you become holy and beautiful to your Father. In Christ, grace recycles you so that you can become beautiful to your, your Father. And this is truly something to be thankful for. In two days when you sit around your table and beautiful food will adorn your table, may you think not just of all the physical blessings that your Heavenly Father gives you, but also of that greatest gift of Christ. He who became a curse so that you might become beautiful to your God through him. That you who were once rotten now smell like peaches because Christ died for you. This is what enables us to be grateful and to please our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this beautiful picture that you give us for our faith that reminds us of the great work you have done for us in Christ, that because Christ is that curse and because we are identified with his cross, you have taken us, the cursed ones, the rotten ones, and made us beautiful in Christ. And so, Father, may we rejoice in such a great salvation and go forth to please you in gratitude. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2012, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.